Right, who wants to read chapter 2? And who wants to read chapter 3? Read it again.
From the sacrifice of the peace offerings, he shall present an offering by fire to the Lord, the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails, and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them, which is on the loins, and the lobe of the liver, which he shall remove with the kidneys. Then Aaron's sons shall offer it up in smoke on the altar, on the burnt offering, which is on the wood that is on the fire. It is an offering by fire of a soothing aroma to the Lord. But if his offering for a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord is from the flock, he shall offer it, male or female, without defect. If he is going to offer a lamb for his offering, then he shall offer it before the Lord, and he shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and slay it before the tent meeting, and Aaron's sons shall sprinkle his blood around the altar. From the sacrifice of peace offerings he shall bring as an offering by fire to the Lord his fat. The entire fat tail which he shall remove close to the backbone, and the fat that covers the entrails, and all the fat that is on the entrails, and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them, which is on the loins and the lobe of the liver, which he shall remove with the kidneys. <coughs> then the priest shall offer it up in smoke on the altar as food and offering by fire to the Lord. Moreover, in his offering is a goat, then if his offering is a goat, then he shall offer it before the Lord, and he shall Lay his hand on his head and slay it before the tent of meeting, and the sons of Aaron shall sprinkle its blood around the altar, around on the altar. From it he shall present his offerings as a, an offering by fire to the Lord. The fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails, and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them, which is on the loins, and the lobe of the liver, which he shall remove with the kidneys. The priest shall offer them up in smoke on the altar as food, an offering by fire for a soothing aroma. All fat is the Lord's. It is a perpetual statute throughout your generations in all your dwellings. You shall not eat any fat or any blood. All right, so we're in Leviticus. And the Leviticus is about worship. Um, it's about the way, how do I get to Yahweh? How do I, how does a sinner enter into the holy presence of Yahweh? Um, that was the crisis that, that ended the book of Exodus, right? Israel was delivered from Pharaoh. Uh, Israel was given the law, within the law, instructions for worship about the tabernacle. And we, uh, were, we, were, we learned last Friday, or we were reminded last Friday, that the tabernacle served as a symbol for the universe, for the cosmos. The tabernacle uh, was a symbol of the Garden of Eden within that cosmos, the Holy of Holies specifically. The tabernacle was an architectural Mount Sinai, where God would dwell with man where God would speak with man, uh, where God would reveal his law to man. At the end of Exodus, the, te the text makes it really clear that what happened, the Israelites, they built, they built the tabernacle exactly as instructed. They gave their very best to God. All that God commanded, they did verbatim, verbatim, uh, uh, verbatim, uh, verbatim sorry. And, and after the completion of the tabernacle, something remarkable happened. The glory of Yahweh dwelled with man again, the first time ever since Eden, on a permanent basis. And Exodus 40, 34 said, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, meeting, and the glory of Yahweh filled the tabernacle. And, you know, if, if it ended right there, that would be the end of the story. Remarkable. Um, you know, beginning, the Eden, begins with Eden, it, it ends with Eden, and the, the story of Scripture begins with God dwelling with man, it ends with God dwelling with man. But, the next, next verse uh, lets us know that there's more to the story. And a crisis is now presented to us. What did it say, verse 35, right after that verse? 
Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting. And that's a shocker because he was able to go up on Sinai and speak with God, right? And he was able to go into his presence, but not anymore. And so Exodus ends with a big dilemma. And Leviticus tells us the answers to that dilemma and answers the question how sinners can enter into the presence of a holy God. Uh, last week I talked about uh, that, that Leviticus is really the heart of the first five books of the Bible. It's the heart of the Pentateuch. Um, the climax, oh, if you go put, uh, put the, uh, there, there's that, um, that outline that, I, that I, we're, we're going to leave up here all, all, all throughout our study. Uh, Le- Leviticus 16 is the climax of the book of uh, Leviticus. So if Leviticus is the heart of the Pentateuch and Leviticus, Leviticus 16 is the climax of, of Le- Leviticus, that makes Leviticus 16 the climax of the entire Pentateuch, right? The entire first five books of the, uh, of the, the Bible. Uh, Leviticus 16 is that mountaintop. Um, what else did we cover last Friday? We talked about symbolism. It's a symbol of the past, of Eden. Reminded Israel when God dwelt with Adam and Eve, the tabernacle is a is a symbol of present separation. Yes, God dwells with Israel in the tabernacle, but there is a there is separation. You need us. There's there there isn't unfettered access like there used to be. Uh, the, the tabernacle is also a preview of the future. Of the tabernacle, the content of Leviticus teaches Israel how sinful man will be able to enter into God's presence in the future. And in order for that to happen, you need a sacrifice, you need a priesthood, and uh, this uh, this tabernacle served as a symbol of hope for the future of Israel and the entire world. Remember, this Levitical system of worship is being practiced before all the nations. All the nations see this. This is public. Uh, this is public. This is for public viewing. Uh, and so this, this this tabernacle would be a loud uh, billboard. A loud kind of uh, a Times Square billboard advertising that one day mankind will have free access to God in a garden in a new universe. Uh, last Friday we looked at chapter one, the instructions for the burnt offering. How do we get to a- a Yahweh? We must first come to Yahweh with an, an a whole burnt offering, and the burnt offering represented that worship involved the entire your entire being. Your entire self. When we come to Yahweh, we must hold nothing back. We must give everything to Him. Our, our entire lives, if God demands it. And, and we saw the uh, Genesis 2, a, a perfect illustration of this wholehearted worship where uh, Isaac is referred to as a, a burnt offering. When Abraham was told to sacrifice his only son, Isaac is referred to as a burnt offering. It was to teach us that faith involves the willingness to give all that you hold valuable to God if God requires that. So how do we get to Yahweh? Through a burnt offering. And tonight we're going to consider two more offerings in chapters 2 and 3. How do we get to Yahweh? Through a grain offering and through a peace offering. And uh, so we look at chapter 2, a grain offering. And um, a grain offering, before we kind of look at verse 1, it was a, a grain offering is a thanksgiving offering. The Thanksgiving offering. It, the, the grain offering symbolized how uh, thankful you were for God's provision of daily bread. It was Thanksgiving for the daily provision of God. Look at verse 1. Now when anyone brings near a grain offering, what is grain used to make? What do you make 
Well, what do you use grain to make? Bread, right? And bread is just a regular staple food. It doesn't get more basic than bread. Man does not live on what? Bread alone. That's, that's just, this is the most basic kind of food that an ancient Near Eastern inhabitant can eat. Uh, Israel wasn't sent to find exotic food. So God didn't ask for caviar. God didn't ask for foie gras, right? He asked for a grain offering. And so in the grain offering, you're reminded of just about the, the centrality of bread and food. If you were in a Jewish household, grain uh, is, the, is the first bread, uh, making a bread with grain would be the first food you would prepare in your household. If you were gonna feed your animals, what would you use? Grain. And so when these grain offerings were made to God, you were reminded of this daily provision. And you would be saying, I am so thankful to you, God, that you provide for my daily bread. This was God's claim on his people in the normal, everyday necessities of life. Notice, um, what, kind of, what kind of flour are you to bring? What kind of flour are you to bring in verse 1? Yeah, why fine flour? Why the best flour? Because worship them as a sacrifice, right? Uh, your best, your best flour. Uh, the flour you, you, you would use for your, your most honored guests. The uh, president's coming over, you're using the, your best flour, right? You're saying, God, this is my sacrifice show you how thankful I am for your provision. Father, I'm giving you my best flower. Um, this is an expression of my trust that you're going to provide for all my daily provisions. There's, there's more coming in my giving of this grain and bread to you. Um, so there's grain and verse 1 it says you shall pour oil on it. And remember, what did you use oil for? To set apart, right? Sometimes you were anointed with oil just to say, I'm, I'm being set apart, set apart for God. So now the oil is, 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 is used to show that you're set, setting apart this grain for devotion, for sacrifice, for worship. Verses one through three is a is uncooked grain that you would offer to God. Verses four through ten uh, speaks of of cooked cereal offerings. Verse two, uh, 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 Moses continues, and he, he shall then bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests. And he shall take it, take from it his uh, it his handful of its fine flour and of its oil with all of its frankincense. And the priest shall offer it up in smoke as its memorial portion on the altar and offering by fire of a soothing aroma to Yahweh. Uh, notice um, there's frank frankincense involved in the uncooked grain, right? Because nobody's eating it. But you don't see frankincense in the cooked grain because uh, that you're going to share with the priests. And the priests don't, you, you don't want to uh, uh, eat incense or, or the 
the powder for the incense in your in your offering. But in verse two, it says, um, "The priest shall offer it up in smoke as its memorial portion on the altar." What, what do you think this this means? So this signifies that if you're offering up this uncooked grain as a the sacrifice to God as a as a memorial portion. I'm sorry, a, a memorial portion. What do you think this is uh, referring to? Just based on the words. Remembering something. Yeah, remembering something. Um, in light of what the grain offering signified, in light of the importance of bread and grain, um, what do you think this offering was intended? Were the Israelites to remember? What? Kind of, sort of. Okay. No. What do you think this would remind them of? What, 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 what was the grain offering intended to be for them to remember over and over and over again? That God. Yeah, yeah, God, Mine exactly. Mine and quail doing it, Well, it was, it was, it was, it's more simple than that, but you're on the right track. It's intended to be a reminder that God was the one who gave grain to his people all the time. So that every time you gave the grain, you were, you were being reminded who gave this to you, right? Who gave this food to you? Uh, it was God. And do we, do we, is, does the church partake of a kind of ritual where we remember something too? Yeah. What do we remember every time we partake of this Lord's Supper? The gospel is death and resurrection. All that we receive in the gospel, right? And this was our it says a soothing aroma to Yahweh. So the first three offerings, in chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, were the burnt offering, the grain offering, and the peace offering, all can be categorized by, uh, they're, all, they're all an ascension offering. They're, they're all three of these offerings are burnt in some fashion, in some form, and this, was a, this, this phrase is used in the first... In the first three offerings, this phrase, a soothing aroma to Yahweh, this, this pleases God. This pleases God. All, all the, the burnt, the grain, the peace offerings, all have this statement. And look at verse 3. Um, what's interesting about verse 3? And the remainder of the grain offering belongs to Aaron and his sons, a thing most holy of the offerings to Yahweh by fire. What's kind of interesting about this? This is the first time you see that phrase, most holy, in Leviticus. Well, it's all of this is holy, right? All of the sacrifice, all of the offering is holy. But why here, when it's this great offering that's uh, given to Aaron, given to the sons of Aaron, why is this most holy? Why is this most holy? What, what, is, the, what is this great offering for? So part of the grain offering, uncooked grain offering, you, you burn on a fire. The remainder of the grain offering, you give to Aaron and his sons. Why give this grain offering to Aaron and his sons? What's the purpose of that? <laughs> yeah, so Israel was responsible to take care of their priests. 
and this was most holy, right? Uh, it's a statement to elevate the importance of the priesthood. Don't forget about your priests. Don't forget them. Don't forget about your pastors, you know? They're important. And so the priesthood given to Israel facilitates worship for God, and the people are to take care of them. Uh, I mean, this would be the temptation, right? You, you, go to the, you go to the tabernacle, you have the uncooked grain, you burn it first, and then you kind of, what, you forget about the priests. Like, God says, no, 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 most holy. That's, that's really important. Now, in verses 4 and following, um, that says that this grain offering can be prepared in three different ways. Prepare it in three different ways. Verse 4 says, um, now we're moving on to the cooked, the cooked grain offering. Verses 1 to 3 was uncooked. Verses 4 and following is the cooked offering. And the cooked offering can be prepared in, the, in three ways. Uh, you can uh, bake it in an oven, verse 4. You can bake your offering in an oven. Anyone know how to bake bread? Make friend everybody. Anybody a try before? Anybody try? <laughs> right, it's pretty hard, right? It's not easy. It's not easy. You're right. Uh, there, in, apparently, in, during COVID, there was a rock. Like people tried to uh, learn how to bake bread. That was like a thing they tried to learn. And people found out what it was. It's really hard to do. So they would put it in. It looked great. Come out. What did yours come out like? <laughs> um, but that's what they did back in the day. And uh, you know what? Nothing like nothing like the old, nothing like the smell of baked bread, right? Nothing like the, the smell of that. Uh, in the ancient Near East, your oven was a clay box on a dirt floor, had a clay top, clay walls, dirt on the bottom, a close a closing of some sort, fire within the within the oven. And many parts of the world still cook with that kind of oven. Now just imagine, like you're in the house, and you're preparing this bread to give to God, right? Oh, and it smells so good. And your kids are like, oh, Dad, can we have some of that? And you're thinking, oh, maybe I'm going to have the peace. I mean, what would you say to your kids? What would would my wife remind me of? This is for God. This is for God. We can't touch it. What do we do? We kind of we write a check, you know. It's not the same thing, you know. Uh, but there, there was just all hands on. Every the family's involved. I mean, worship was. It started in the home, continued in the tabernacle. It was a sacrifice. It was the finest flower. And you were saying, "Thank you, God. You give me this bread every day. You provide, and I want to give it back to you." Right? It's, it's kind of similar. Well, not exactly the same, but it's similar, right? God gives us, what, money to provide, and we give it back to him. Say, Lord, here's here's some of the money you've given to me. It's a reminder that, what, you're the one who gives me my paycheck. You're the one who provides, and I'm going to sacrifice a certain percentage to give to you. And you know what, God, I'm trusting you that you're going to, you're going to provide more. So I can, I, can, I can sacrifice this. So same kind of principle here. Um, you can... Uh, Cook it, in a, cook it in an oven, verse 5 and 6. How else can you make it? What's the second way? The second way you can make a grain offering? On a griddle, right? A flat metal servant, uh, a surface, uh, verses 5 and 6. Uh, verses 7 through 10, what else can you make it on the third way? You make it in a pan. This is kind of normal preparation. 
No more common element to life than bread. Man shall not live on bread alone. This is just basic life, day-to-day living kind of offering to God. God provides for our daily provision. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Here, here, here I'm, I'm giving it back to you. Now, in verse 11, you have a couple of uh, prohibitions in this verse. So there's two, two prohibitions. Two prohibitions. When you prepare the grain offering, what can't you use? Leaven and honey. Why can't you use leaven? You, you want to look back instead of forward for the main answer. It takes time, doesn't it? Okay, so what's wrong with that? Yeah, yeah, you're close. But remember, when was the first time God said you couldn't use leaven in your bread? When was the first time? In the Passover. Why couldn't... So on the day of the Passover, when Pharaoh killed the firstborn of Egypt, why... And God said, get ready to leave, because once that happens, I'm going to send you to the Promised Land. Why did God forbid leaven when they made the bread? Because leaven what? Takes time. So they need to go quickly. As soon as I kill the children of Israel, you need to leave now. So you can't use leaven. And so this this prohibition of leaven was meant to remind you of the suddenness of God's deliverance. When God rescues us, it's like that. So be ready. Be ready for God to rescue you. And this unleavened bread became a part of Israel's identity. When you see unleavened bread, you're, you were supposed to think, this is the God who rescued Israel from Egypt. Like that. It was a symbol of their identity. Leaven in the Bible also becomes a metaphor for what? For poison, for evil. The second thing you, you can't use is honey. Why, why, don't, why, don't you think you can't, why do you think you can't use honey? Honey's like what? Anybody know? Maybe, maybe Justin might know. Honey's like what? Honey also starts processes in the bread. If you want to make bread, you can put honey and it starts certain processes in the bread. Raw honey apparently contains raw yeast as well. And so honey is too, too much like yeast. It takes too much time. And so no, no honey, uh, no, no leaven. Verses 12 through... Uh, verse 12 applies to a different kind of offering, an offering that we see described in 14 through 16. Uh, and this is the <coughs> offering that you would uh, give to God uh, at, at, in springtime, the first fruits, when your crops would, you, you, would see, you would receive the first fruits of your crops, and you were giving this offering to say, here God, uh, here's, here's my first fruits, this is my best, this is the best I have to offer. I want to thank you for your faithfulness. I trust you for more. That if there's first crops, there's second crops and third crops. And so, verse 12, as an offering of first fruits, you shall bring them near to Yahweh. Your first fruits you give to Yahweh. Your first grain. Your first, uh, the first, first uh, part of your 
grain or your crops. Uh, but this, this is, but this, this, this grain offering during the festival, the first fruits, you, you don't put it on the altar to burn. You, you don't offer it uh, by fire on the altar. This is a different kind of grain offering. And this is the kind of great grain offering. Verse 14 explains, you roast it at home in the fire, and then you give it to the priests, and then the priests give some of that to God as their own um, sacrifice and their own worship. Now, verse 13, before we kind of look at the last part of chapter 2, it says, um, you see this for the first time in Leviticus, the salt of the covenant. Salt of the covenant. And uh, what, do you, what do you use salt for besides flavoring your food? What else did, what else did people use salt for? Preserving. Yeah, preservation, right? My wife, we, on Halloween, they, they were giving out free crumble cookies if you bought one. So we went in, we got we bought one, we got two free ones because my two kids, uh, they were dressed up as a saint, Martin Luther, and, and, <laughs> and the cookies had what? Had a little salt on it, right? It was salty. It was salty. Why was it salty? Preserve it. I mean, those cookies have lasted an entire week. You still got one left. Um, so, what do you think? Why do you think in this sacrifice to remind you of God's covenant? Why do you think the, the, the you had to include salt with it? What do you think this, the salt symbolized? In the same way that salt preserves food, what? God will preserve the covenant. Salt of the covenant. God will keep the covenant. Leaven means decay. It's the opposite of the leaven. Salt means preservation. The people of Israel will be preserved. The salt becomes a metaphor of God's preserving love. This eternal covenant. Shall bring with all your offerings, you shall you shall bring salt near. Look at look at verse thirteen. Three times, three times. What does God say? You shall season with salt, so that the salt of the covenant of your God. Again, with all of your offerings, you shall bring salt near. Don't forget the salt. <laughs> right? Sometimes I remind my wife of that. I'm like, honey, don't forget the salt this time. This is for a different reason. It's to, say, to, to, to remind the people, don't, don't forget that God is going to preserve this covenant. This is, this is his preserving love to remind you of that. Of verse 14, you shall bring a, a grain offering of early ripened things to Yahweh. You shall bring fresh heads of grain roasted in the fire, grits of new growth, that's corn. And then verse 16, uh, the priests uh, receive some of that roasted grain for their own provision. And then give some of that provision to God as a memorial proportion to be reminded of God's provision, God's faithfulness. So that's the first, uh, that's the second offering, the grain offering. Chapter 3, we look at the peace offering. How do we get to Yahweh? We bring him a peace offering. And a peace offering is sometimes called a, a fellowship offering. And a peace offering is unique. And the reason why this is so unique is, is because 
it's not only consumed by the priest, it's also uh, consumed by the worshiper. Everybody gets to eat of this offering. So you're sharing, the, the worshipers are sharing a meal with the priests. Everybody's in fellowship with one another. And that's super important, right? Because, because of our peace and fellowship with God, therefore we have fellowship with one another. And when, when, you, sit, when you sit down at a meal, when you have lunch with somebody, when you have dinner with somebody, what, what does that usually assume? What does it usually show or indicate about your relationship? Yeah, because you never eat with who? You never eat with your enemies. You never say, hey, the guy who hates you with, uh, you know, with like a burning passion, hey, you want to get some lunch? Uh, you might do that, but they'll probably say no, right? Um, remember Psalm 23 says, um, you, you set a table for my enemies, you prepare a table before my enemies. That's not something you normally do, do you? And so you usually eat, uh, in biblical times, you ate after there was reconciliation. And uh, let's say you were an enemy, there was reconciliation, and you ate after a covenant was made. A covenant and recon reconciliation, and then you ate after that. Go to Genesis 26. Genesis 26. Isaac moves to the promised land. The uh, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, is there. There's a dispute over who, who should live there. There's some, uh, there's some anger there. They, the Philistines, in verse 15, they fill the wells of Abraham. Bill says, get out of here, Isaac. Uh, you're too powerful of us, for powerful for us. Isaac departs, verse 17. There's more quarrel over these limited resources. And so I, I, um, there's, a, there's a fight over the water. And so finally, Abimelech and his military advisor in verse 26 realize, you know what? God's favor is truly with this nation. We better, we better make peace with them. And so verse 28, they say, We see plainly that Yahweh has been with you. So he said, Let there now be an oath between us, between you and us, and let us cut a covenant with you. Let's have a covenant that you will do us no harm, just as we have not touched you and have done nothing to you, but good have sent you away in peace. Well, let's have peace. We know you are the blessed of Yahweh. What they do after verse 30? Then he made them a feast, and they ate and drunk. Right? There's a covenant, there's reconciliation, and now you have a feast. You have a feast, because you're friends now. Right? You see that in Genesis 31, with Jacob. Is, is, is Jacob friends with Laban? No, Laban's a bad guy. Laban uh, switched lives on him, right? Yeah, I'd be pretty mad if, if I was expecting to marry someone, and I got somebody else. And it was my father-in-law. And so finally, Jacob secretly leaves. Jacob hates Laban. Laban wants to kill Jacob. And God says, don't do that, Laban, or I'm going to kill you. And so what happens? They, they reconcile. Verse 43. These are my daughters. So verse 44. 
Come now, let us uh, cut a covenant, you and I, let it be a witness between you and me. Let's, let's cut a covenant. They have a covenant. They offer a sacrifice, and look at verse 54, and they ate the meal and spent the night on the mountain, right? Covenant, reconciliation, and now you have a meal together. And so if, along that same logic, this peace offering shows that you used to be enemies with God, now you're, now you're reconciled. Why? Because God has made a covenant with you. Cut a covenant. And now, because he's cut that covenant, now you've been reconciled, and you're no longer enemies, let's everybody eat together in this peace offering. So the priest eat, the worshiper eats. Remember the burnt offering, chapter 1, the entire animal was burned. In chapter 2, in the cereal offering, only the priest got to eat the offering, not the worshiper. But in the peace offering, some of the animals burn to God, some of it's eaten by priests, and the rest is given to the, to the worshiper for his own consumption. Uh, go to, go to the, the, most, the most famous peace offering is found in 1 Samuel. Go to 1 Samuel. This is the most famous, this is the most famous peace offering in the Bible. 1 Samuel chapter 5. Hannah wants a son. She doesn't have a son. She's really sad. So, look at verse 4. And the day came that Elkanah, her husband, sacrificed, and he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and her daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion. So, how do we know this is a peace offering? How do we know? Because they're eating it. They're eating it, right? And the peace offering is the only offering that you can eat as well. So, this is the most famous peace offering. Chapter 3, verse 1. This is kind of interesting. Uh, what's different about, if you've been, if you were here last Friday, what's different about chapter 3, verse 1? This peace offering. This offering. Compare that to chapter 1 of um, the burnt offering. You know the difference? Male or female. Chapter 1, burnt offering was only male. We don't know exactly why. Again, without blemish, it has to be a sacrifice. It can't be this animal you're probably going to kill anyway because it's sick. It needs to be a sacrificial offering. And so chapter 2, he would bring the, the offering. He would slaughter at the doorway of the tent of meaning. You would lay your hands on the head, identifying with the animal. Verse 3, from the sacrifice of the peace offerings, you shall bring an offering by, near, by fire near to Yahweh, the fat... It covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails and, and the two kidneys with the, with the fat that is on them, which is on the loins and the lobe of the liver, which you shall remove with the kidneys. What's the, what's the deal with the fat? What's, what's, the, what's the significance of the fat? So, the, the, the fatty meat's the best meat, right? The, the fatty, the, the ribeye's the best, I'm sorry. The ribeye's the best meat. Um, have you ever had venison before, wild game? Not very good it, because there's no there's no fat in it. There's zero fat. Uh, fat's really important. You, you can't do much cooking without fat. It's a big source of uh, oil. In other words, it's the best part of the animal. It's a prime cut of beef. And so, the, insofar as the animal represented the man, the worshiper showed he was giving God the best part of his life. 
Um, we don't know exactly why the, the kidneys are involved, the liver was involved. You know, the medical science back then, they didn't know what the kidney did, they didn't know what the, the liver did, they, they kind of knew what the heart did, that was kind of obvious, right? The heart stops beating, you die. But the kidney and the, and the kidneys and the liver, it, it, sometimes it would uh, symbolize the, your, the seat of your emotions. So, so if you were, you know, uh, you know, uh, when Sean finds it, the love of his, of his life, he'll write a card to her, say, I love you with all my heart. Back then they say, I love you with all my kidneys. I love you with all my liver. That's how they've been expressed their love, with all my emotions. And so this is different because in the burnt offering, oh, you could say that, you could quote, you could quote Leviticus 2 and, and, and show up how beautiful you are. Um, uh, remember, the burnt offering, chapter 1, the, the entire animal is burnt. Chapter 3, it's, it's specific parts, the best parts, the fat. Um, and this is uh, to remember since we have fellowship with God we have fellowship with each other verses 6 through 11 you have peace offerings for sheep that's described there 12 through 17 you have peace offerings for goats so you can use sheep, you can use goats look at verse 16 this is, I like this one look at the end of verse 16 all fat is Yahweh's. The best part of the animal is always for God. The best is always for God. You give your best always to God. All fat is Yahweh's. We don't give them our leftovers. We don't give them everything after we spent what we all the good stuff. All fat is Yahweh's. Our best is always for Yahweh. We always give our best to Yahweh. And it's a perpetual statute. Then it says in end of verse 17, you shall not eat any fat or any blood. So the question is, can you eat a rare steak? Uh, yes and no. If it was simply, it was simply the Mosaic law that forbid blood, eating blood in an animal, then you could eat of food with blood because we're no longer under the law but in the Noahic covenant the Noahic covenant which uh, is a covenant that applies to everybody and it's a covenant that applies uh, for everyone until now it hasn't been, hasn't been abrogated chapter 9 verse 4 whoever flesh with its life that is blood you shall not eat so you can't eat anything with blood in it. But steak, because it's that's not blood, it, all the blood is drained from a steak. That, that red part is basically the protein, the color of the protein. Uh, you can basically eat rare steak. Blood sausage, and I don't know if there's blood sausage where it's like, like real blood in it, and you can't eat that unless it's cooked. But I don't think you can eat any, any food with real blood in it because of the no way it comes. So, we have fellowship with each other in the Lord's table. And what do we enjoy in the Lord's table? We enjoy peace with each other. Because we enjoy peace with God through Jesus dying for our sins and rising again from the dead, we now enjoy peace with one another. What do we, what do we notice about chapter 2 and 3? What, what are some general uh, things you notice 
in the grain and peace offerings in chapter two and three? What are some things that kind of stand out to you? Some qualities. Anything stand out? Isn't there a lot of detail? There's lots of detail, right? Even different way to cook the boy. Yeah, different. It's intricate. It's complicated. It's specific. It's very specific. It's hot. And the reason behind it is, is to signify that you can't you can't worship God any way you want to. You can't worship any way you want to worship God. Like these instructions in Leviticus, God gives all of these instructions to Israel. It's not like they they work this thing together. Israel plays no role, plays no part in these instructions. It's all from God to Israel. This is how I want to be worshipped. If you want to enter into the presence of a holy God, you must be holy. And the way you become holy is a, it's a holy way. There's precision in worship. Every detail. And yes, we don't have... The same kind of worship now in the church in the New Testament, we don't, we don't have this much detail, but we still have basic principles that we have to abide by. We, we can't worship God corporately any way you want to worship Him. And not a lot of churches understand that. A lot of churches think, I can worship God any way I want. I can mimic the world any way I want. No. Leviticus says, no, you can't. But He, God, determines the manner of our worship. You can't worship God in any way you want to. Worship is defined by God. Worship is given to God. I heard that we had a few people, one people last year, two years ago came in, they were complaining about the worship. Oh, I don't like the songs. I don't, I don't, I don't like this. I don't like that. And I said to them, I mean, the songs are for God. You know, it's hard. We sing to God. This little guy. He was mad because my wife and, and I were singing hymns a week ago. You can't hear me tell this story. And I said, I said, Paul, oh, we, we, we don't worship for you. We worship for God. We worship for God. We don't worship for each other. No, imagine. Imagine all the animals that would be sacrificed throughout the year. Thousands, right? Hundreds and thousands. Imagine over the history of Israel how much blood was shed. Millions and millions of goats and sheep and cattle. Imagine all that blood. How much blood do you think was shed? And so... Old Testament worship, Henry, we were talking about it last Friday, you and I were saying, how, how powerful and how visceral that, that would have been. I mean, this is, this is incredible. And I was all looking forward to Christ, who would be the fulfillment of all these sacrifices. Do we worship like this today? Yes and no. No, we don't have animals. We don't do this. But do we have to study Leviticus? You have to read this book? Absolutely. So in a way, this visceral, powerful experience 
is still part of New Testament worship today because our worship today finds its roots here, doesn't it? It comes here. This is the origin of our worship. This isn't the same kind of visual contact. This is this isn't the same kind of visual full contact participation. Well, Leviticus is God's word, so we're invited to know the details of our worship because our, our the roots of New Testament worship are found here. We don't worship in these specific, specific details, but there are principles here for us. That is God of order. And so in a way, through the pages of the scripture, this powerful auditory sensory hands-on Levitical kind of worship, it, it informs our worship now with these powerful images, with these powerful symbols. We're not sacrificing animals, baking bread, cutting up the best pieces for the meat of God, but as we study, as we study Leviticus, it what? We kind of imbibe it, imbibe it into our own psyche, into our own, our own worship. We don't worship exactly the way Leviticus requires, but we're still connected to Levitical worship because it's in, it's in the Bible and all scripture is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. So let Leviticus inform our worship this Sunday morning. Let us remind, let Levitical worship, let Leviticus remind us of all the core principles God still demands when we come into his presence. Right? 